Welcome to Jesse War Radio. Jesse War Radio is dedicated to peering behind the veil of esoteric iconology and symbolism and is available from jessiewar.com. Each week we interview authors, historians, thinkers and artists in an effort to discern the truth behind symbols, myths, icons and allegories. New episodes are posted every Friday. Members of Jesse War Radio gain access to the second hour of every show. Find out more about becoming a supporting member of Jesse War Radio by clicking on the subscribe link in the top navigation menu at jessiewar.com. Thank you for tuning in. D. Jason Cooper wrestled professionally twice and lost both times. He was born in Canada, grew up in the United States, and now lives in Australia. He has seven books to his credit, two of which are still available. These are Mithras, Mysteries, and Initiation Rediscovered, which we'll be discussing today and which is available on Amazon. And the other book is Slums of Paradise, in which in the 23rd century the Pope tries to change the resurrection of a vampire with holy relics. Available from Twilight Times Books. He lives with his two children, Shadra and Darius, and Shadra's fiancé, James. Hello, Jason. Thank you very much for coming on to Jesse Wall Radio today. It's a pleasure to have you on. Oh, thank you for having me on, Jesse. And I'm hoping that we could uh, first go over a, sort of an overview of Mithras and Mithraism. And then um, in the second hour, we could get into uh, rites and mysteries and rituals having to do with myth- Mithraism. So, um, but first, can we maybe, would you uh, mind just telling us a bit about your background and what got you interested in Mithraism? occult things in general? Wow, that's a, that's a long story. The genesis of it was I got into occultism simply because I wondered what it was about. It's like an interest in history that I have. I could see Rome and I could see Egypt, but I couldn't see at the time how Egypt became Rome. It was only sometime later I, I realized Augustus went and conquered it. In terms of religion, I could see the ones that were around me, but I couldn't see how they got that way. I couldn't see how if it was everyone is saying the same thing, which was very common when I was young as a, as a saying, why they never said the same thing. I, because my family is so, I'd say diverse now, they'd say polyglot or something else back then, but there were Jewish members, there were Protestant members, there were Catholic members. But, oh, and the Protestants were split up in various groups, of course. There were orange Irish uh, and green Irish ancestors. There were English, German Jew, they're all dead now, um, Westphalian German, some Prussian, some Norwegian, some Gypsy. I just I, I started to wonder how things went went together, and in terms of occultism, there was so much that so many people wanted to deny could exist that it just perked my my interest way too much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what gets a lot of us. <laughs> what about specifically Mithraism? Uh, what what attracted you to that? Again, it's got the broad sweep of history. If you start with Hinduism. There's a god called Mitra, who's part of a pair of divine twins, Mitra Varuna. Mitra is the day, Varuna is the night. And everything that will come through to Mithraism as Mitra of the god of light 
continues not only there, but also in Iran with Mithra, uh, the Matani who named their empire after him. They were one of the early horse riders um, in the Bronze Age Empire. And it becomes Mithras in Rome. Now, many people do say, oh, but Mithras in Rome is not the same as the other gods. But I look at that and I think, what is Jesus supposed to be? According to some Quakers, he was a man, not a god. According to the Roman Catholic Church, he was fully God and fully man. Uh, the Orthodox agree with this. Most Protestants agree with that. But there's also the monophysite view that he was wholly divine, not human at all. Uh, cops in Egypt, by the way, are monophysites. What is so, sorry, what, what was that word? See, mono, mono what? Monophysites of okay. one nature. Oh, right, okay. But they're all supposed to still be Jesus. Yet the Jesus as told in the four Gospels are completely different, with different intents, different purposes. It seems to me that a lot of people within academia think, well, Mithras doesn't have followers, so we can say these are divided. It doesn't hold that way at all. When I first wrote my book on Mithras, it was put up on Amazon, and somebody, somebody attacked it because why would you mention... Uh, the Golden Dawn and the Knights Templar and the Masons. And I said, well, I'm using them as parallels. Society may have many different ways of being put together, but those ways are not infinite. And one of the big things, for example, is Mithras was a religion with secrets, a secret cult, whatever you want to call it. But basically, they met in places that non-members couldn't go. They had secrets to tell. They had a severe question then, how were they going to recruit people? You might know someone, you might trust them, you might think they'd be a great asset to your religion, but if you can't actually say, this is kind of what we're about, you can't recruit them except on your own good word. You couldn't have had a religion as big as Mithras in Rome without some way of being able to talk to outsiders to draw them in. Do you consider Mithras to be the same as Jesus? Are they parallels? And if, they're, if they are similar, what was the political motive, do you think, for introducing Jesus and Christianity? Christianity was one of the mystery religions for its first four centuries. Same as all the others. It was one of many. What changed it was Constantine, who decided that he needed a particular savior God. Now, there were many choices he could have made, but he actually just chose Jesus Christ. He could have chosen Isis, who had a very broad-based religion. He could have chosen Mithras. In fact, his troops, for the final victory after which he imposed Christianity, fought Mithras-inspired troops, um, and so on. But Christianity gave him a set of forms that he needed. It had a top-down organization that other religions didn't have. In a, in a grouping of Mithraic religion, you had groups in Rome, you had groups in, well, up and down the Balkans, you had a lot along the Danube uh, and the Rhine. They didn't tell each other what to do. There is variation. Christianity had the notion that you had one god, one church, one bishop. And that top-down control was something that Constantine desperately needed. Without it, much of Rome 
might have collapsed. We often forget from, from about the time of Augustus, when BC became AD, Rome hit its peak. It got some military advantage up to second century, early second century with Trajan. But after that, it was downhill with just a few bumps along the way. Constantine desperately needed an additional way of controlling the populace. Christianity offered him far more of that, partly because it was new and he could formulate it his way. Other ancient religions, like Isis again, there was a very broad support for it, but it was female, it wasn't military, he had to have something military, and militarism was imposed onto Christianity. He needed to have something that was male. If you note, in early Christianity, there were a great many females who, without whom Christianity would not have survived in that first four centuries. They basically got shunted out. There's, so there's nothing, there's nothing specifically uh, specific about Christianity that lends itself to, to monopoly. It's just that it was because it was a newish uh, cult? Essentially, yes. I mean, what, what, what would it be? Because very few of the original doctrines remained. Uh, we've already discussed how Jesus was a man or a man plus God equally or in different proportions or purely divine. Human beings were originally supposed to be spirit dwelling in the soul, which was dwelling in the flesh. On that basis, humans formed their own trinity. Christianity said no, or some of Christianity, Roman Catholics particularly, said no. The spirit is actually a function of the soul. So human beings became a dual system, not a, not a trinity. But that came after, or with several stages, with and after the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century, lorded over by Constantine. So there was very little that he had to keep. Christianity before Constantine didn't really have the relics going. His own mother, Helene, went to Jerusalem, couldn't find anybody who remembered much about Jesus at all, but somehow managed to get... Uh, some person to talk after torture, who said the crosses that Jesus and the two thieves were crucified on were buried here. Why he knew that, how he knew that, the story really gets dodgy. But she, the area was dug up, there were three crosses, which were then immediately chopped into pieces in the various pieces, including the sign saying this is Jesus, King of the Jews, sent all over the place. Is, is that sign that, uh, is that sign reputed to still exist? Yeah, it's is in it? Rome. Oh, really? Or part of it? Hmm. Yeah. Um, it such stories were constant. Such relics had become a joke to the rest of the world, and yet it was what was needed at the time to hold things together. There were thirteen foreskins supposedly from Jesus' penis. Because he was circumcised, he was a Jew. Mm -hmm. um, totally, totally overlooking the fact that very often when Jews are circumcised, uh, the rabbi sucks the blood off the penis. Meaning that the foreskin is consumed? No, the foreskin oh. is removed, but right. the penis will bleed. It's a, oh, so there's no blood on the foreskins that they have as relics? 
I don't know whether there's blood on it. It would certainly certainly be unlikely you could get any DNA out of it. It would be interesting. But 13 of them, wow. It is, it is really a, a dark ages that it enters into, but the theological dark ages started before the military dark ages. What about, um, just on a side note, um, the hymn to Aten, right, is very similar to the Our Father. How would that have appeared in the... I'm assuming that the Our Father's in the New Testament, right? So, or is it in the Old Testament? But how would that have appeared in, in Christianity? You mean the prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name? Exactly, yeah. That's, that's not in the Bible at all. That was created by uh, the Council of Nicaea as a formula. What kind of a formula for what? As a declaration of what the faith was about. Right, so does because that lend it? credence to the possibility that Christianity is a solar cult? Yes, it definitely is. And do you think that it's just borrowed directly from the hymn to Aten? And what does that mean? I mean, what does that mean about the connection to Akhenaten, uh, to Rome? What was happening in Rome at the time was there was a, a whole wave of ideas. And these would come up with particular forms in particular place, places. Think of the 1960s. Rock and roll was everywhere. But you had everything from the Beatles, Paul Revere and the Raiders, to Mamas and the Papas, and so on. It took different forms. In the case of the cults, there were a series of ideas, many of them derived from Plato, many of them derived from much further back in history, that people put together in different forms to express similar things. And this process has never stopped. There is something in us that innately sees these various ideas. For example, there's a first century uh, book from Alexandria, which was basically a series of hymnals and exercise, spiritual exercises. And one of the things the person was meant to do was contemplate the four elements, fire, earth, air, water. And after other, other parts of the exercise, they would stand and announce, I am a star. Well, Aleister Crowley in the 20th century declared, Every man and every woman is a star. And you might accuse him of having taken it from this place here, but it hadn't been discovered yet. His formulation is very close to the other formulation. They could get along quite well together in the same church, but they were arrived at independently. What about, uh, just another side note, what about the, uh, the obelisks in Italy and Rome? Are those linked to what you're talking about? The obelisks in Rome were largely taken from Egypt and Egyptian quarries to show the strength of Rome. Within the Roman, well, late Roman Republic particularly, and the early Roman Empire, there was a belief that Rome was superior, that outside of Rome were barbarians who were uneducated, um, everything, everything you would now associate with certain races you could put as Rome considering barbarians. It was Germans they hated. But the obelisks showed power. The obelisks were originally paired because the shadows would tell you where part of the season you were in. What was the solstice? What was the equinox? Because the shadows, when they sort of cross, they want to direct from one obelisk to the other. You could say, oh yeah, even night or equinox. So they had a very important astronomical point of view. 
we sometimes forget, but back then, people looked at not just a mass of stars. They would say, oh, their star alpha has just come up, therefore I need to do this in the fields. Since harvest was about 99% of what every single community was about, knowing the stars was important. People then, with constellations and such, realized that there were many spiritual things that could be said with the same thing, or by the same observations. We have observations of, very early on in the Babylonian period, of people saying, right, Venus appeared this day, stayed till this day, disappeared, reappeared this day, and just went, they just mapped it slowly, and sh not really surely, but carefully. And they did things like, Jupiter is in the third house, the people are happy. They just made observations, and those observations are still within astrology. Those observations were not only of the planets, but the other stars, are actually in the background informing Mithras and myth informing Jesus, uh, or the Christian movement. Because many of the elements of symbolism of Christianity are taken directly from a solar cult. Not least of which, he was born December the 25th, which was the old winter solstice for the Northern Hemisphere. If he had been born as the biblical accounts say, it wouldn't be in winter because you wouldn't have lambs at that time. The lambs are born in the spring. Since there were shepherds out in the fields at the time, it must have been, not have been winter because in winter you have the sheep and goats all on the first floor of the house. Above that is where the people live, and they actually um, live off the heat of the animals below them. In spring, then the animals are let out, then the sheep are born. So since all those things are referred to, the shepherds, um, Jesus must have been born in springtime. Perhaps he was meant to be an equinox god, in which case it would have been March 25th, his birthday. Uh, do you think that all... Uh Religions are astron astronomical or astrological uh, and or solar or lunar? Ancient ones, most of them. More modern ones tend to break away from that. You in would what, not in think what way? In what way? Okay, well, modern ones, Scientology is not, as near as I can tell, right. anything <laughs> to do with solar, lunar, astrological. Mormonism, parts that it adds, are not solar or lunar. They're not astronomical at all. In fact, they are, well, they're not astrological. They do have the astronomical idea that there are other planets and Mormons, when they die, will go each go and rule a planet. In terms of ancient religions, everything was so wrapped up in the sky that the vast majority of them are. There are some exceptions, or some things were so minimal it doesn't count. Buddhism, if you count that as a religion rather than a philosophy, is often misrepresented. It doesn't say there are no gods, it doesn't say that astrology is wrong or anything like that. What it says is that they are a distraction. So the core of Buddhism, Theravada Buddhism particularly, eschews all that and is really a, what in the West would be considered hymetic. It's just what you can think and what you can do with your mind. Confucianism, similarly, um, deals with a lot of local traditions in which a wide range of things happen, but the core itself is not really concerned with anything like 
astrology or astronomy as we know it, but it is concerned with how you deal with the society. Um, Tao, again, does not concern itself with anything like astronomy, astrology. It does concern itself with a deity whom I cannot distinguish from the scientific view of scientific laws. It's not a conscious deity, it doesn't care about you, but you can use your own mind to change how things go. So it's positive thinking and all that sort of stuff. But an atheist, noisy atheists, such as they are lately, could not really come up with a reason to dislike it other than it's not their style. And what about um, the religion of the Australian Aborigines, like dreamings and stuff like that? Oh, heavily, heavily based on astronomy. There's not like four seasons here. In the given area, they define or define periods of time in the year, which they can set. They know one year from another for long periods prior to the white man showing up. But they, like here in Perth, there's five different seasons, which I don't know other than sometimes it's wet and sometimes it's not. But there's also the windy season, which is, runs like a month, and that's every year and so on. Um, they have, they view the Milky Way as being the river, very common viewpoint, but the Rainbow Serpent, um, which also lies under Swan River, is also the Milky Way, is also every path they take, and this serpent is probably the top god of their pantheon, but god is possibly not the exact right word. Um, and also, okay, so back to Mithras. Uh, is Mithras mentioned in the Bible? No. Um, the Roman mystery god is not mentioned in the Bible. He is mentioned by a lot of Christian polemicists. We use those comments quite often to illuminate things because Christians say, oh, he did this, and the general pattern is to say, okay, they did something like that, but probably not as horrible as they say. I actually looked at Tertullian, who said, you know, this is veritably a camp of darkness, which doesn't really make sense if you have a bunch of guys in a little building that's underground. And when I realized that there were no cooking facilities at any of the Mithraea, since I wrote that, there have been three with cooking utensils or a small oven found, out of better than a hundred. But since they didn't have the capacity to cook, it must have been they were cooking above ground, and that indicates that outside the Mithraeum were a whole bunch of people who were not yet part of the initiatory group. And I think it was this, or to this, that Tertullian was, was indicating. But within terms you of what... You called Mithras... Oh, sorry. Sorry, you called Mithras the, um, the Roman mystery god? Is there a significance to that, that title? Okay, Roman in that I'm just counting the Mithraea that we find. I'm not going through uh, Mithra, who's subject to his own yash within the uh, religion of the Mastayanis, of Mazda. And I'm not going through Mithra, who is now a small part of Hinduism, used to be much larger. But they are, I think, three different forms of one deity because they are all solar. The Mitanni, for example, call on Mithra 
on the basis that he is a solar deity. They, they use him in a treaty in 1375 BC, the first mention we have of him. Mithras is, is actually the oldest deity in continuous worship because the Masayani, the uh, followers of Zoroaster, still include him among their Pontius immortals. Mithra is not really worshipped in the Hindu in the sense that he doesn't have temples or such, but they do know that he is there and he is part of their pre-Reformation structure. I say Roman mystery god because, well, one Roman, two mystery, in that he specifically had some form of initiation, which tended to vary across the religion or the geographical area. South of the Alps in Italy, uh, which was a, a very strong part of it, we have the seven degrees. All our references to the seven degrees of initiation come from south of the Alps. North of the Alps along the Danube uh, and Rhine, we have something much more like a what you can call a Protestant version of it. Where you are initiated into the religion and then make it, in, I think, one big jump to the stage of adaption. Do you think that uh, Freemasonry has any kind of connection to, to what you're talking about or no? If you mean an historical one, I don't think so, in that I think Mithraism, the Roman religion, was extinct by the 5th, maybe 6th century at the very latest. Freemasonry, despite all its claims otherwise, really starts up in the 18th century. But, mm -hmm. again, that same thing where you have in the 1st century in Alexandria and in England in the 20th century the same kind of realization coming, Freemasonry came to similar ideas to those of the religion of Mithras, and like them, also separated out into a specific group. That is, Mithras was worshipped by males, at least within the Mithraea, and Freemasons are generally males. But I suspect both were the same in that both had female auxiliaries. In that camp of darkness, I suspect the wives of the people in the Mithraeum were um, having dinner, talking to others, and generally doing that sort of thing. Um, they also, it's also notable that recently it has been discovered, something I long suspected but obviously couldn't prove, that Mithras kept lists so that when their members died, they made certain those people got a proper burial. You find this is also something that Freemasons do. So there is that sort of camaraderie element to it. It's just that Mithras were, were largely soldiers, so it was a bit more immediate for that. The Mithraeum is the name of their temple. Yes. Is that correct? Okay. And then you mentioned that it was underground. I went to, in Rome, I went to a Mithraeum uh, and it was like about three, four levels below ground. It was absolutely incredible. It's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. And they still have the altar there. Yeah. So were they always underground? or With the exception of London, they have all been found underground. There were no doubt some individual uh, rooms in the houses of wealthier members, but essentially they were all put below ground because, by their myth, Mithras slew the bull, which started time and all that sort of stuff, we'll get into that later, I'm sure, within a cave, which was the universe, which is also the underground temple 
the Mithraeum, or in Rome particularly, was called Spelunga, where that is a K. And that was often decorated with pumice to make it look like a K. This was part of symbolism that was fairly generic, in that our first ever literary critique mentioned that a K was also a symbol of the universe as we know it. So we all were in a K. This was in a generic in terms of ideas at the time, and they took it to the full within their own mythology. And that obviously has parallels with Freemasonry in, in terms of the initiation ritual where the person is uh, dead and then they're risen. And then obviously Christianity as well does the same thing, really. And then uh, the, the fact that it was a, a brotherhood of soldiers uh, also is kind of similar to Freemasonry, where they're sort of, uh, they have, they were decorations uh, reminiscent of uh, military garb. Well, the Freemasons are brothers in terms of building um, cathedrals. That's where that symbolism comes from. The Mithras were largely composed of soldiers. There's, I think, one senator that we know of who was a member. There were a few acolytes, but essentially it was soldiers and also merchants. We forget now that at the time to be a merchant who worshipped Mithras was a watchword for providing good product at a good price. I can't think of anybody else who's got that reputation these days. In terms of standing together, it seems to me that the Mithras, they were a people who set themselves to a particular task, and that included saving, saving the civilization around them. In terms of Freemasons, they have a not so much a, a hunker down kind of task, but a reaching out kind of task, because according to Freemasons, if you see their tracing boards or their set of symbols, you will come to an understanding of it. So they don't actually allow people in their meals, again, meals, to talk. They must contemplate the tracing boards, of which there are first, first second, and third degree. What about, uh, there's contention that uh, Mithras did not exist before Rome. Uh, is that, what, what are your thoughts on that? I, I've read that a lot. People say, well, basically it was invented. Uh, it was a Lancy who said, uh, Basically, they realized there was a precession of equinoxes, so they made up a god in order to deal with that. I do not see this as any more valid an argument unless you say that all the different forms of Jesus are not the same, and any new theological view about Jesus means it's a whole new god. Mitra was the god of day. Varuna was the god of night. Mitra became... When Varuna dropped out of the pairing in Iran, or Iran shot, it became that Mitra was the god with 10,000 spies, being the stars, the god who gave victory, the god who had the chariot, which is an old symbol of the sun. Mithras rode the chariot to the heavens after a meal with the solar gods. Mithras was called Dias Sol Invictus, Mithras Sol Invictus, with the invincible sun god constantly, they are all based on a fairly regular set of symbols, and these symbols affect human beings in particular ways. To say then they are different gods and only this is here from this date is, to my mind, 
like saying Orthodox theology could not exist before the Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church split. Uh, and and then also did uh, were there Jewish Mithril worshippers, Mith Mithras? I don't know if uh, we have no names which are not basically Roman names or Roma, Romano-Syrian names. It was a pretty staid group in that respect. Whether someone practiced any other form of religion was not of interest to the Mithrasians. It is, it is not really possible in ancient Latin to ask, what's your religion? You can ask which philosophical school someone belongs to, but religions were not meant to be hardline barriers between each other. For example, Judaism was, as far as Romans knew, you know, the monotheist, monotheist religion. And many people saw things of advantage in that, and they became what was called God-fearers. They behaved in Jewish ways, even though they hadn't converted. Many did, but those who didn't were not excluded from any other cults. You could, if you wanted, go to a worshipful congregation for Mithras, and then Isis, and then Hestia, and then um, Orphix, and so on. There was not an exclusivity as there would be from basically, not Constantine, Constantius was the one who really put in the boot for you shall be member of the one church only. But the fact is, religions were not mutually uh, exclusive. It was possible to follow several paths and learn from each of them. Most people settled in one. Mithras was one such association, and many people found it completely fulfilling. We have, for example, cases of people being sent from one congregation to another. This is remarkable in that somehow they managed to choose someone, a sacerdos, to become a pater or a head of another group, and the Roman government said, okay, I'll sign up. And they transferred him over. And at the new place, there was enough to keep him in that task. They paid him. And what about connections to Egypt? Um, was there was Myth was Mithras present in in the Egyptian pantheon? No, Mithras was not in the Egyptian pantheon, and we have very little evidence for Mithraic activity in Egypt. There's a fair bit in Syria, uh, Side and Tyre, not in not in what is now Israel, largely because the Romans, remember, went through in 70 AD and, and slaughtered nearly everybody. The strongest geographical points of Mithras were the Roman Peninsula, uh, Danube and the Ride, and the Western Balkans. There were also um, an area in South France, which was fairly strong, and there were a few places on the Iberian Pen Peninsula. Where, where exactly in South France? Pretty well the, the range of what we refer to as South France in terms of that's where the Vichy Republic was, that's where the Burgundians were. The interesting thing is the divisions within most of Mithras follow the ones that we, follow, that we posit for Europe most of the time. There seems to be a much stronger geographical element to it than we tend to like to imagine. Um, but France, and I'm just double checking, or Nice, Rome, 
all through all through Burgundy, which is interesting. And the run. A note to listeners: at this point, my audio file ended, uh, but it's easy enough to infer the questions that I was asking Jason uh, by his answers. And in Britain, you've got up near Scotland, Adrian's Wall, St Albans, London, Brighton. Yes, there were quite a few of them. One of the largest, in fact, was in Aventine, in the Aventine Hill in Rome. And using the old archaeological principle, where you find the most of something is where it started, you would, on that basis, count Rome as the origin. I kind of doubt that because Rome sucked up everything going. And actually, I'd go with the old story of Silesia. It took a while to really take in, but Mithra, without the S, that is the Iranian form was extremely popular there, was put on various uh, coinage, and they had a string of seven kings called Midhata, which is to say, Gift of Mithra. So it is from there, which is now northeast Turkey, that the principles would go. They went through a bit of a reformulation to fit it into the context of Roman mystery religions. But in that, that's nothing. Nothing larger or nothing more fundamental than was done with Christianity to turn it from a mystery religion into an open religion. Gospels, no. Gospel means a letter. And up until a guy called Marcion, there were huge numbers of gospels, huge numbers of stories of Jesus, huge numbers of various elements. Marcion said, okay, I'm going to take Luke and only 10, maybe 14 letters and a few other things. And he took them and put them together as the New Testament. The rest of the Christian movement, or various churches, thought, hey, that's a great idea, but we hate Marcion. And his group, which was always small, got finished off, and then Christianity itself developed his own New Testament, following basically the form that Marcion created. The big thing that was added was... In uh, well, it was actually established again in the Council of Sea in the fourth century, and in that one, that's when the Book of Revelations was slipped in because they thought it was the same John who wrote the Gospel. But within that is a whole series of things. In many ways, Christianity is the least well-formed of the religions at that time. It is the least coherent. Is the one with the most bits and pieces put together. It was kind of the Michael Bay movie of religions. All the critics would say, uh, not, not all that good, but it sold. And it sold because it was a saleable item rather than an item you had to earn yourself. It was something that could be used by the emperor rather than something that would restrict him. Don't forget that Christianity had something called causistry, which is establishing the basic moral principles of something. And they would go through all kinds of complicated calculations so that whatever you wanted to do, you could. That eventually broke down in the 16th century. Yep, pretty well. I'm sorry. Mystery finished. Well, you can look at uh, djsoncooper.com, which is my website. It doesn't give a lot of biography because, really, I think the interesting thing is Mithra is not me. But what I do is I put on articles where I try and look at things from the opposite direction. 
Uh, for example, I at the moment I'm doing pretty well monthly articles for Blast Off Comics, and I take some of the weird things that people do with what is a new myth coming up. And you can actually say to people, well, yes, we do have people who did those heroic things. They were called Red Tails. And you may think Blackhawks is great. You may think Howling Commandos is great. These people did it for real. In terms of the site, I will discuss things or I will say things that nobody else would say, but I'll, I'll argue it out. I'll paste it on facts. It's not just opinion. Certainly. I mean, just looking at it, if you get a bunch of people together with superpowers, what do you call them? The Justice League or the Argonauts? If you get um, if you get the power to fly and to float, does that make you Superman or an advanced Buddhist? Is there any? Yeah. Um, you can run fast and far if you're the Flash, but also if you practice Tibetan art and Laungum. And that's just on the superhero level. But the questions of identity are, as well are something that we keep asking ourselves. Which, since we don't have a divine element to it most of the time, we keep trying to find some other way of putting it, and things keep keep creeping out. Okay, take for example the idea: I can run fast. Why would that change what dimension you're in? We say that the idea of new dimensions is just recent. I mean, science fiction in the 50s and so on. Yet when you read descriptions of Olympus, where it says that it holds the world on a golden rope, that's clearly not a mountain. It's clearly not this world because you can't get there. You can't get to the rope. If you climb Jacob's Ladder, the ladder from Earth to Heaven, you're climbing into a different form of existence. Everything that is experimented with in terms of spirituality, we try and tell again. And when those things shift, we realize that our society is shifting. It's usually the things we don't want to look at that tells us what's making the change. And sometimes it's quite small. Take, for example, Doctor Strange, the master of the mystic arts, the guy who's going to be a big multi-billion dollar movie soon. Originally, he was a master of a dark arts of black magic. Thank you for listening to Hour One of Jesse War Radio. We hope that you have enjoyed this program and found it informative. Stay tuned and check back each Friday for a new episode. Please like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash jessiewar and follow us on Twitter at jessiewar, all one word. Members can access Hour Two of all shows in the members' archive at jessiewar.com. If you haven't yet considered becoming a member of Jesse War Radio, please click on the subscribe link in the top navigation bar at jessiewar.com, where you can register for access to the members' archive, where both hours of all shows are available. Jesse War Radio is where we keep on peering further and further behind the veil of esoteric iconology and symbolism, with a new show every Friday. Farewell until next time.